This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Rachel Maddow Show, Comedian Lee Camp, The Tom Hartman Program, The Young Turks, The Media Matters Minute, Counterspin, and The David Packman Show. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode discusses the state of the U.S. media, so you may wish to prepare yourself to weep in despair. Remember Elaine Chao? Elaine Chao was Labor Secretary under George W. Bush. Uh, incidentally, she's also married to the top Republican in the Senate, Senator Mitch McConnell. They are a major Republican power couple in Washington, as these things go. These days, former Labor Secretary Elaine Chao works at Fox News as an on-air contributor. She was also recently nominated to serve on the board of directors at Fox. A few weeks ago, during an appearance on Fox, she talked about what a, in her words, stunning abuse of power it was for President Obama to strip the work requirement out of welfare. Now, that is not true. President Obama did not strip the work requirement out of welfare, quite the contrary. Uh, but Elaine Chao, as a Fox News contributor, went on TV and said it was true, and also that it is a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, here she is a couple of weeks ago telling Lou Dobbs about how Mitt Romney will save the day with his super awesome jobs plan if he is elected. Uh, Elaine Chao is not just a Fox News contributor now. I should also mention that she is a national chair of the Mitt Romney for President campaign. So when she appears on Fox News to offer economic analysis, she is implicitly doing it as both a Fox News contributor and as a member of the Mitt Romney campaign, which is probably very convenient for the Mitt Romney campaign. This is uh, Walid Ferris. Walid Ferris also works at Fox News. He serves as a Middle East and terrorism expert on Fox. Uh, this was him last week talking about how attacks on American embassies in Libya and Egypt and elsewhere in the Middle East and North Africa were caused by the Obama administration. Mr. Ferris is not just a Middle East and terrorism analyst for Fox News. He's also an advisor on foreign policy and national security to the Mitt Romney campaign. So when he appears on Fox News, he gets to do both of those jobs, which is probably very convenient for the Mitt Romney for President campaign. Here's a guy named Jay Seculo. He is a regular on Fox News. He appears frequently on the network to talk about legal news. Here he is last month talking on Fox about what a great intellectual leader Paul Ryan is and how his and Mitt Romney's position on the economy is the moral position on the economy. But Jay Seculo is not just a Fox News regular. He's also an advisor to Mitt Romney, who, according to the folks at Politico, serves as liaison between Mr. Romney and movement conservatives. Chances are you remember John Bolton as the ambassador to the UN who basically did not believe the UN should exist. Remember him from the George W. Bush years? Well, these days, Mr. Bolton has a gig as a contributor on Fox News. In this clip you can see here, he's explaining how the attack on the U.S. Embassy in Libya last week that killed the U.S. ambassador and three others, how that was caused by the weakness and fecklessness of the Obama administration. But John Bolton is not just a Fox News TV guy, he is also a Romney campaign foreign policy advisor. So he gets to work for the Romney campaign while he works on Fox News. In fact, Mr. Bolton actually announced his endorsement of Mitt Romney during an appearance on Fox News. The folks at Media Matters have been tracking all of the overlap among Fox News contributors or analysts and the Romney campaign. A spokesperson for John Bolton told them that his joint role as a Fox News contributor and a Romney campaign advisor is totally okay and super ethical because Mr. Bolton is, quote, not paid by the campaign and he gives foreign policy advice to lots of people. But probably the most amazing example of a Fox News contributor making efficient use of airtime is Karl Rove. Uh, Karl Rove does not work for the Romney campaign, of course, but he is the founder of the massive, massive pro-Romney, anti-Obama super PAC, right? And as a Fox News political analyst, he gets to go on TV, like, for example, earlier this year when he went on TV and analyzed his own campaign ad for Fox. Spoiler alert here is that he thought his own campaign ad was awesome and totally effective. Your uh, PAC, American Crossroads, I get, I'm sorry, super PAC, not just a regular PAC, this is a super PAC, all right, uh, put out a, uh, a recent um, video. Super PAC. You bet. All right, so that's aimed at younger voters, obviously saying that uh, you were sold a bill of goods, it didn't happen. Uh, that's where you're going with that. Yeah, good. That's I'm I'm, I'm glad you got the message. And, it's and it's always good it, when you know, a video like it, that. Yeah, if I, everybody, everybody gets it. it. Yeah, right. there we go. Right. There we go. <laughs> <laughs>
Karl Rove in his role as Fox News political analyst and as a major financial player in the 2012 election, analyzing his own effect on the election. Now, there, there are a few different ways to object to this phenomenon, right? You can object to the idea that a purported news organization is paying people to report on and analyze their own work. They're working for a campaign and they're also analyzing that campaign for an organization that at least still has the word news in its name. And that can sometimes seem cockamamie. But you don't have to be a liberal to be annoyed with that, right? You don't, you don't have to be an independent news-minded person to be annoyed with that. I mean, okay, if you come from the left, there are lots of reasons you might object to things at Fox News. The fact that they are a subsidiary of the Romney campaign is surely one of the many things that could bother you about Fox News. But if you come from the right, Here's why you might object to this from the right. If you come from the right, then your network, the television network of the right, is not just having conservative-leaning news analysis. They're having the Romney campaign on TV, and they are calling it conservative-leaning news analysis. Frank Rich of New York Magazine spent the week of the Republican convention absorbing a diet of pure, unadulterated conservative media, and he came back with some surprising news from the right. Turns out that Fox News right now is as frustrating to the right as it is to the left. And the brave, we're all behind Mitt Romney facade of the Fox News Republican establishment does not at all reflect the conservative grassroots. Quote, if you ventured beyond both the mainstream media and Fox, you learned it bore little resemblance to the mood of much of the right. You also learned that many in the grassroots were infuriated by the media airbrushing, to put it mildly. Away from the convention stage and from the mainstream media's coverage of it, dissension of various stripes was rife throughout the GOP coalition. If Fox doesn't speak for the right anymore, who do they speak for? And where does the right go without Fox? Where do you go with your broken heart and soul? What do you do with the left over you? And how do you know when to let go? Where does the good go? Where does the good go? Gretchen Carlson was, was upset about the lying, and, uh, she, or, or rather, she wasn't upset about the lying. She was upset about the laughing, and she suggested, well, maybe Paul Ryan just should have decked Joe Biden. Huh. Interesting. Here's video from Media Matters about this. This is, this is some incredible stuff, Lewis. Got okay. I don't know if we have that video. Let's take a look. I think we do. If for some reason you missed the interruptathon, we've got a little bit of it to give you a good idea what it was like yeah, give us for 90 idea. minutes. We agreed with the Obama administration. Let's have a status of forces agreement to make sure that we secure our gains. Now we have them in place because of Congress. Right. Thank heavens we have these sanctions in place. It's in spite of their opposition. Oh, God. Did they come in and inherit a tough situation? Absolutely. <laughs> but we're going in the wrong direction. Nobody is. Mr. Vice President, I know you're under a lot of duress to make up for lost ground. <laughs> but I think people will be better served if we don't keep interrupting each other. It's been done before. It's precisely what we're proposing. It has never been done before. It's been done a couple of times. Actually. It has never been Jack done Jack Kennedy lowered before. tax rates, increased growth. Ronald oh, Reagan. Oh, now you're Jack Kennedy. Have <laughs> you ever felt that way? Deck somebody? I mean, okay, I'm so sorry. Lewis I think turning the volume down at the exact key moment that we're trying to get to. Okay, let's let's you're Jack keep Kennedy. the volume up this time. Have you ever it's felt that way where you just want to deck somebody? I mean, I'm sorry. I think if you're Paul Ryan last night, that that's how that's how you feel because yeah, wah wah wah. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, Fox News crying is a direct indication that America wins. If Fox News is crying about something, that makes me think it's a really good thing. Victory. It's victory, exactly. And, and wah, wah, wah from Gretchen Carlson. Oh, do you ever want to deck somebody? I mean, really, that's what it makes me want to do. Give me a break. The guy was lying. Joe Biden laughed right in his face and said, you're not telling the truth. And that's the reality, Lewis. Yeah, uh, I think it's incredibly effective. Very good. So show me family. All the blood that I will bleed 
Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. A question. Should Anderson Cooper and maybe the senior management of CNN uh, be in Gitmo? Now, follow me on this. I, I, I realize that sounds pretty outrageous, but uh, yesterday uh, Assange spoke to the U.N. I mean, since June, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has been holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy in London because he's trying to avoid extradition to Sweden. And, and the reason he doesn't want to go to Sweden is because he's got pretty good evidence that they intend to send him to the United States where he would meet the same fate as Bradley Manning or even worse. His crime, in my opinion, being a journalist. You know, there's only one industry specifically mentioned in the Constitution. Literally, there's only one. Now, keep in mind, when this country was founded, there were a lot of really important things. I mean, we needed cannons and musket balls, and we needed paper for newsprint, and we had, we actually subsidized paper for newsprint, but it's not in the Constitution. There's only one industry that the founders of this country, the framers of the Constitution, thought was so important that it should be mentioned by name. It wasn't building battleships. It wasn't making flags. It wasn't making uniforms for the Continental Army. None of that. It's right here. Congress shall make no... It's, a, it's a, for the First Amendment. It was ratified December 15, 1791. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. No law abridging the freedom of speech or the press. The press is the only industry mentioned in the entire Constitution of the United States. Journalism. It's the tool that we the people have to keep our government in check and to make sure that we the people have all the information we need to be informed members of a democracy. The press, the fourth estate, it's absolutely essential, which is why it's named and protected in the very First Amendment in our Bill of Rights. Journalism has taken a lot of different forms over the centuries, adapting to technology and changes in our society, you know, from the quill pen to the printing press to radio to television, now to the Internet. In every single case, journalism has utilized all of these methods to do its job, to speak truth to power. But it's that last method, the Internet, that really frightens power. And it's that last method, the Internet, in which WikiLeaks exclusively operates. The reach and speed by which information can be distributed now, thanks to the Internet, is unprecedented. It's revolutionary. It's revolutionizing the world. Now, in a matter of seconds, a story of official malfeasance or even official good deeds can fly at the speed of light to billions of people around the planet. President Obama may have laid some groundwork for the Arab Spring by going to Cairo in 2009 and basically telling the Arab people to tear down their dictators. I've mentioned it a lot of times on this program. But WikiLeaks journalism is what really lit the fuse. WikiLeaks released information about how the president of Tunisia... This kleptocrat, this thief, had been engaging in decades of massive greed and corruption. Two weeks later, young street vendor set himself on fire, sparking the revolution in Tunisia. WikiLeaks released information about the greed and corruption of kleptocrat Muammar Gaddafi and his sons in Libya. And just like clockwork, that country was well, well on its way to being swept up in revolution. It was WikiLeaks that released information about Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak's plan to never leave office, even though there were so-called presidential elections coming down the road. And as a result of that WikiLeaks data dump, half a million people were occupying Tahrir Square demanding a revolution, one that they eventually got. 
that's the power of journalism in the Internet age, and none of it would have happened without WikiLeaks. Which brings us to why Julian Assange is stuck in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. He's wanted not by Arab nations. They've seen firsthand the damage his revelations can cause to established regimes, but many of those established regimes are now gone. He's wanted by us, by Western powers, principally the United States and, you know, our buddies like Sweden. I mean, let's face it, WikiLeaks is in part the 21st century version of what the New York Times was two centuries ago. Both entities receive information from whistleblowers. Both entities publish that information. In fact, the New York Times published much of the exact same information that WikiLeaks did. But nobody there is going to jail. They haven't been the subject of federal investigations. Prominent lawmakers and government officials are not calling the editors at the New York Times enemies of the state, which is the phrase that they just applied to Julian Assange. No one is declaring CNN's Anderson Cooper a terrorist for reporting on what could be state secrets found in Libyan Ambassador Chris Stevens's personal journal. Remember that video that WikiLeaks exposed showing our helicopter pilots gunning down, I believe they were Al Jazeera journalists or Associated Press, one or the other. We've got a couple of journalists there in Iraq. It went viral around the world. It was a war crime right there in front of all of us, committed by our people, terribly and tragically. You know, we the people have the right to know when our government engages in war crimes whether or not our government decides to label the video top secret, we absolutely have a right to know, which is allegedly why Bradley Manning, who is apparently just as concerned about all this as, as all of us should be, allegedly posted it on WikiLeaks. That's journalism. That's not espionage or treason. Getting stories like that out there is journalism in literally the purest sense of the word. Yet Julian Assange giving a speech to the United Nations goes through a list of U.S. government agencies that are currently investigating WikiLeaks. Those government agencies identified so far as a matter of public record having been involved in this investigation include the Department of Defense, CENTCOM, SOUTHCOM, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the U.S. Army Criminal Investigation Division, the United States Forces in Iraq, the 1st Armored Division, the U.S. Army Computer and Crimes Investigative Unit, the CCIU, the 2nd Army Cyber Command. is a political prisoner in the West today because the most paranoid within the U.S. government are afraid that they could be embarrassed or maybe even prosecuted for war crimes. And they have this fear for a good reason. Our government is no longer solely the property of we the people. It's now also in large part thanks to the Supreme Court owned in part by the transnational corporate elite and their military industrial complex. Our media belongs to the corporate elite. Just a handful of corporations who own pretty much everything we see in the news media. In Europe, unelected technocrats and banksters have taken over what used to be democratic governments. And one of the few forces out there that hasn't yet been totally brought down by this corporate coup d'etat in the Western world is WikiLeaks. That's why they're a threat to those in power, including those in corporate power. Journalists have always been the underdog in their efforts to speak truth to power. They've been censored, they've been smeared, they've even been murdered. This is nothing new. John Adams, second president of the United States, shamefully shut down opposition newspapers and jailed their editors in the biggest event of his presidency, the passage of the Alien Sedition Laws. Back then in 1798, Thomas Jefferson left town in protest. Historically, our press has been really important. We can't see it marginalized.
good to be back. Good to be back. Our guest for the interview tonight is our friend Frank Rich from New York Magazine. Frank spent the week of the Republican convention this year immersed in conservative media to try to find out what people are really thinking and feeling and talking about right now on the right. And if you are not a hardcore conservative and you think from the outside of the conservative movement that Fox News must represent the way conservatives are talking to each other and what conservative politics are like right now and where conservatives are at in this election and how they feel about Mitt Romney. Frank's assessment is that you would be wrong. What Fox News represents right now is the Romney campaign, sometimes literally the Romney campaign. The campaign advisors, like those you see here, are on the payroll at Fox giving you analysis of the campaign that they work for, which is very, very tidy. But the tone of the conservative, more grassroots media, big right-wing talk radio, for example, is not just not supportive of Mitt Romney, at times it is downright nasty. The issue that's troubling me is Ann Romney. I don't like the prominence that she is taking. She is enjoying herself a little too much. She thinks she's running for office. She is not doing him a service as far as I am concerned by playing such a prominent role. The country club woman. You know, I've been around women like that all my life. I don't like them, to be frank with you. If I don't like them, you could just imagine what poor people are feeling. You know, Miss Perfect. As someone who's grassroots, I really get um, ticked off whenever I talk about the battle between the establishment and grassroots, and I'm constantly told that it doesn't exist. I'm constantly told that, no, you're just being a drama queen. I'm told, oh, no, right. you're just making stuff up. This, this, you know, no, it's happy. And, and we're all getting along, and you need to stop talking about crap like this because we're supposed to have unity. I am told that every single week. That is a sample of what right-wing talk radio sounds like right now, which is not at all what Fox News sounds like right now. That was Dana Lash and Michael Savage there. This is the sort of stuff that Frank Rich is writing about today at New York Magazine after his week-long embed in conservative media. His piece on this is called My Embed in Red. Frank Rich, it's great to see you here tonight. Thanks for being here. Great to see you, Rachel. Do you feel like those were fair samples to select in terms of talking about the difference in tone you're getting from those two different parts of the right? Completely fair. It was absolutely fascinating to me because the way I did it is I listened to all the radio all day. I watched Fox at night. I looked at every website, including some really good, highbrow, erudite, conservative uh, websites. And Fox, you, you nailed it when talking about these people have double employment. Fox really is an arm of the Romney campaign. What you find listening to the grassroots is a lot of suspicion about both Romney and the GOP establishment in general a fury about the rules changes that were pushed through about delegate selection, hardly covered in the mainstream media mm -hmm. early in the convention. Um, we covered it, but the right media didn't the, cover it. Right. Fox didn't like to cover Fox it. Fox right. didn't cover it, but it, it was, and it was not just about Ron Paul people, it was across the board. And you find that um, there are a tremendous amount of complaints. For instance, if you listen to Fox, you'd think that the only people who were criticizing Clint Eastwood were lefties and Hollywood types and Democrats. In fact, uh, Glenn Beck did a, a really intentionally hilarious monologue making fun of Clint Eastwood and the idiocy of the Romney campaign to let their big night be stepped on by that 15-minute uh, improv. You also learn that there's a lot of skepticism about uh, Romney and Ryan's foreign policy. Um, indeed, a lot of what's happened in the past since the Republican convention was predicted by conservative commentators at places like the American Conservative while the convention was going on. You find a lot of enthusiasm for Ryan, hmm. for Paul Ryan, as the pure sort of avatar of minimal government, uh, you know, the basically, you know, fundamental uh, conservative ideolo ideology, but fury about the fact that he dumbed down his message at the convention, that if the left was complaining about him fudging or facts or lying in his big convention speech, um, the right's complaint was that Ryan was fudging conservative principles, not talking about the big ideas that they attribute to him and like. Um, the religious right was furious about the, the establishment's abandonment of Todd Akin. Mm -hmm. uh, people like Brian Fisher, who has a radio show of the American Family Association. Uh, and, and then people were fighting with Mike Huckabee, who took the same stand, sort of supporting Akin. And uh, so this is in, what you just played is completely typical uh, of what I was hearing. And by the way, I would say to your audience, it's worth listening to. Some of these people, you may completely disagree with them, 
but they're honest. They're not spinning for like a Karl Rove on Fox or a Frank Luntz on Fox. They have contempt for Frank Luntz, saying every day that every uh, focus group likes the Republican ad better than the Democratic ad. They know it's nonsense. They were concerned about uh, the bad ratings the convention was getting. But it's, it's, I learned more about the Republicans and harsher criticism of the Republicans from the, the conservative media than I would from a lot of the liberal press. So we, I feel like we saw this insurgency in Republican politics, right? When the Tea Party movement became a generator of right-wing primary challengers to establishment Republican candidates, the Republican Party essentially just shifted to incorporate the right-wing protest movement, which was happy to play electoral politics. And so you've got Jesse Benton, who was, you know, Rand Paul's campaign manager right. against uh, Mitch McConnell's hand-picked successor for that Senate seat right. uh, in hand -picked candidate for that Senate seat um, uh, in Kentucky, now Mitch McConnell is, is, is bringing Jesse Benton on board. They just brought all those folks right on board. But that seems to not be happening in the commentariat. And so aren't people like the folks at Fox News risking the situation in which they are seen as the establishment and they lose all of the energy on their own side in the same way that the National Republican Senate Committee and Mitch McConnell and all these guys had to bear the brunt of their own insurgent wing in electoral politics. I think you're right, but I think Fox, you're actually hitting the conundrum about Fox. In the end, it is not a Tea Party organization. It is the establishment yes. of the Republican Party. It is owned by Rupert Murdoch, more or less. And, and so therefore, when uh, it, the chips are down, they're going to go with Romney. I'm sure, you know, Murdoch himself has been somewhat contentious of Romney on Twitter, but that's where their economic interests are. They think, I think, the Tea Party people, the base, the grassroots, have nowhere to go. I think the grassroots people would say, we have some place to go, possibly someday a third party, which of course is quixotic. But I think if Romney loses, which increasingly seems likely to me, uh, and even if he wins, um, there's going to be a real night of the long knives as people fight this out because it is a, it's a, it's a really interesting story. Let me ask you just before we go about the Mitt Romney tape tonight. You saw us play it at the top oh, yes. of the hour. 47% uh, of the country who are with him, who are dependent on government, who believe that they are victims, who believe the government has a responsibility to care for them, who believe that they are entitled to health care, to food, to housing, you name it, that that's an entitlement and the government should give it to them and they will vote for this president no matter what. My job is not to worry about those people. I'll never convince them that they should take personal responsibility and care for their lives. Is Pre President Romney? <laughs> All I can think of is that polling question they always ask, who cares more about people like you? Yeah. <laughs> Can you wait for the next number uh, and that match up with Obama? And I will just mention people are already voting. As of today, ballots have already been counted good, in North Carolina. Good timing. Yeah. Frank Rich, writer at large for New York Magazine. The article is called My Embed in Red, out in the latest magazine. Frank, uh, thanks for doing it. It was a lot of fun to read and it's super insightful. Thanks for being Thank here. you very much. Thanks. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. How about the genius over at Fox News? Well, uh, they're going to discuss what's happening with the situations at the embassies in Pakistan. There's a lot of turmoil, turmoil uh, in the Muslim world. So, uh, first of all, Dana Perino, who, of course, was the White House spokesperson for George W. Bush, I mean, she's going to take a very serious attitude to this. And she knows who you've got to meet with and who you don't have to meet with when you're at the United Nations, which is what's happening right now, of course, in New York. So let's hear them out. The Pakistani minister offered $100,000 bounty to find a filmmaker. Dana, there he is. This is a gentleman who was one of the Pakistani ministers. Mm -hmm. 
Where's the outrage from the State Department about You know what I would do if I were President Obama? I would have, well, one, canceled my appointment on The View or canceled my dinner plans. And I had said, demanded to see the Pakistani Prime Minister and said to him at the UN, knock it off now. Problem is, oh, they're okay. the ones who apologized um, for America because of a, tax, uh, a United States taxpayer who exercised his First Amendment right and did a video that uh, crap about ads yeah, and they used it as an excuse. All right. Uh, you know what? That would really work. Because if Dana Perino went to the Pakistanis and said, hey, you know what? Knock it off now. <laughs> and if she shook her finger at him, listen, Mr. Pakistani, you knock it off, okay? I bet that'd really work. Because, you know, Obama's been really light on Pakistan. For example, when he violated their territorial integrity and killed Osama bin Laden within their territory, that only lit their country on fire. But he said he'd do it, and he did do it. By the way, the people who didn't want to do it were Republicans. Were Mitt Romney, John McCain, all the people who said, Oh, you can't violate. you you got to be much nicer to Pakistan. You can't violate their territorial integrity that way. And whether that was the right thing to do or not might be an open question if you're an international lawyer. I think for a lot of Americans, getting bin Laden might be worth the price of violating their territory. But the idea that President Obama has been too nice to Pakistan, I'm not sure a lot of Pakistanis would feel that way. Now, it's okay, because Eric Bowling is going to take it over the top, because he's got a better idea on how to do diplomacy with Pakistan. $23 billion we've given Pakistan since 9-11. Maybe it's time to cut off the aid and maybe send a drone or two right over the embassy. What? Yeah, show them! Kill random Pakistani civilians and perhaps their ambassador. Yeah, take that! Ha <laughs> What? That, would, that might start a war? Pakistan has nuclear weapons? They're supposed to be our ally? What? How stupid are these people on Fox News? When people watch that and go, <laughs> Idiots, morons. That's their idea of foreign policy. You want to elect those guys? Are you kidding me? You want to stand in the same room as Eric frickin' Bowling? Yeah, go ahead, vote for Republicans, see how it turns out. Worldwide disaster. Which, by the way, is how it turned out last time when we invaded Iraq for no goddamn reason because people like Eric Bowling on Fox News got everybody around. Oh my god, Iraq! Iraq weapons of mass destruction! Fuck it, let's bomb them! That's how we got into the mess. All right, Dave Kohler, uh, longtime uh, aficionado and fan of The Five on Fox News Channel. Uh, I don't know anyone who watches it more than you do, Dave. Uh, so just want to get your uh, general thoughts on The Five. Well, you're getting mixed up in this conversation with them as if they're being serious. They're ch kidding around. They're, they're, uh, he doesn't really want to send a drone over the Pakistani embassy. And then you go off and get all serious on them. And you give them way too much credit just by responding seriously back at them. What they are doing is, yeah, they're expressing this sentiment, an ugly one, that America should solve its problems by exerting its will of power and just bombing things. Yeah, he is expressed that. But it's not literally that we should send a drone and drop a bomb on the Pakistani embassy. It isn't until actually it was, right? I mean, not in the case of Pakistan, but Dave, I understand what you're saying. That's a fair point, right? But they get people riled up, and then what do we do? I was talking to Steve O about this the other day. He thought... When we sent the aircraft carriers, et cetera, to Iraq, and Fox News had everybody riled up before we did the invasion, he's like, come on, they're bluffing. They're not really going to invade. That's crazy, right? They wouldn't actually do that until we did, right? So, but the, and this is how they stoke people up. They're like, oh, yeah, Pakistan dropped a couple of bombs. Ah, 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 ah. I agree. This is part of the propaganda machine that stokes it up. Eric Bowling, you point him out as the particular idiot who said he's just a tool in this whole propaganda machine. It's not to be taken seriously. Uh, but yes, we got to be made aware that they're running a propaganda machine. As for Dana Perino, I really want to believe that she's not as dumb as the other guy, uh, just the other guys on that show. But she's never given me any reason to believe that. <laughs> All right, but wait a minute, Dave. To be fair, uh, they got Bob Beckel on the show. He's he's a liberal, right? So <laughs> he actually fair tries hard. He does. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely not a liberal, but he tries to. He tries. They shout him down. They cut him off. He gives it his best. It's a I, tough I think job. You're, I think you're secretly entertained by that show. Not secretly. Not secretly. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like most about this show? The fast pace, which is the ridiculous thing. They were discussing Medicare a few months ago, and each 
person had 15 seconds to make a comment about Medicare, which is an extremely complex. It's ridiculous. You can't learn anything from it, but it's fun to watch. And they try to go over the top with their stupidity. The vile, the hate for Obama, it, it's actually a little frightening, but can be entertaining to watch. And then Bob Beckel just getting steamrolled. That fat guy just getting steamrolled by those four assholes. <laughs> And you thought I was tough on the pot. <laughs> this is the Media Matters Minute. I am Laura Keeter. Media figures have rushed to discredit the newly released jobs numbers by claiming that the drop in unemployment rate to 7.8% was manufactured to help President Obama's re-election chances. Here's Stuart Varney on Fox News' America's Newsroom. There is widespread mistrust of this report and these numbers. Oh, how convenient that the rate drops below 8% for the first time in 43 months, five weeks before an election. And Fox's Charles Payne. I do know that it's extraordinarily fishy, and I do have a gut feeling it's going to be revised north of 8%, but that won't happen until after, the, uh, after we know who's in the White House. But Media Matters' own Joe Strapp talked to eight veteran economic reporters who called the conspiracy theory implausible, mind-boggling, and a complete fantasy. Time Magazine's Michael Scherer responded to the complaint about the magazine's supposed fact-checking piece on the major party candidates. That was the one that said, obscurely, that Romney's lies were more brazen, but Obama's were more deceptive. Well, Scherer's response seemed to suggest that reporters don't fact-check because there's really no such thing. I would love to be able to tell you that Mitt Romney is misleading more than Barack Obama or vice versa, Scherer said. Quote, the problem is that there is no existing mechanism for carrying this sacred duty out in real time. There are just too many subjective judgments that have to be made to come to any conclusion. Close quote. Well... FactCheck.org's Brooks Jackson made, if anything, a more astonishing admission, saying that even if he could tell you which candidate was more deceptive, he wouldn't. Quote, even if we could come up with a scholarly and factual way to say that one candidate is being more deceptive than another, I think we probably wouldn't, just because it would look like we were endorsing the other candidate. Close quote. Well, exactly. Because the point of Jackson and those like him is not to be fair, but to look fair. And if they don't conclude that each side is getting a lot of stuff wrong, well, that wouldn't look very fair, would it? Of course, that makes the whole enterprise essentially fraudulent. They're pretending to go through the motions of disinterested analysis in order to reach a preordained conclusion. That's kind of what we thought already. It's just strange to hear it admitted. last day, did you go online to read news or did you read it out of a newspaper? I'm interested in that. 39% in the last day read out of a newspaper, read online, 23% out of a newspaper. That's down from 46% 10 years ago for newspapers. It's basically, it's 47%. It's basically cut in half. From how many years ago? I think 10, like 2000, oh, 10 oh, or 12 years, down trouble. dramatically. Uh, this is very significant. Since 2006, majority of people still get their news watching TV. TV news, still king. Since 2006, number of 18 to 29-year-olds 
watching TV news, already dropping by 15% just in six years. It's going down, as you know. It's statistical confirmation of what everyone already senses. If you're under 30, you're not, read, you're, you're not watching television. That's not newspapers. That's watching television. And then finally, about non news consumption, supports what has already been reported before. Most informed audience, Rachel Maddow's audience. The least informed audience, Fox News. But this is, again, the lefty polling of, uh, of, uh, <laughs> of the Pew Research Group. All right. And for those of you who don't know, Pew is just about as down the middle as you could possibly get. So uh, it's fascinating numbers. It, does, it spells doom for the newspapers. And not good news for TV. No. And uh, definitely not good news for Fox News. For a number of reasons. One, because they grossly misinform their audience. And number two, because their audience is literally dying. It is so old. And, you know, the younger audience is leaving TV overall. And boy, are they running away from Fox News. So it's bad news on top of bad news for Fox. That all of your days are numbered. All of them one, two, one hundred. Lewis, what would you say is the number one reason people should tune into the David Pakman show if they like Jay Tomlinson's Best of the Left podcast? I mean, I see it completely differently from, from someone who's just watching it. Yeah, well, but if I was asking someone else's opinion for the promo... I don't even watch our show, so how can I answer that question? I do not watch our show. So Lewis is, isn't even a fan of the show. <laughs> Maybe the answer is Lewis doesn't actually like Can you this be show. a fan of the show? I mean, are you? Can, is, isn't that kind of stupid to be a fan of your own show? I'm a huge fan of the show. <laughs> of course. That's like being a fan of yourself. You're like a narcissist. What, do you put pictures up of yourself at home, too? Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Speaking of shutting the whole thing down, we need to shut down Fox and Friends on, on uh, Fox News. Now we have, have you heard of this guy, uh, Dr. Keith Ablo? No. Okay, Dr. Keith Ablo is one of these TV psychiatrists, kind of like a Dr. Drew, but even more immoral, apparently. He went on Fox News, and this is just so ridiculous. It's, it, you, it's, it's barely believable that this even happened. He was asked to analyze, well, listen, Joe Biden was interrupting, and he was laughing. What, what might be going on in a psychiatric sense with Joe Biden? And Keith Ablo went on there. And he said Biden may be suffering from dementia, and he may have been drinking before the debate. Now, pay, pay particular attention to the drinking claims, because as you know, Joe Biden's uh, ex-wife and Joe Biden's, uh, Joe Biden's daughter were killed by a drunk driver. And to go on national television and irresponsibly with absolutely no evidence or anything suggesting Joe Biden was drinking, to say that Joe Biden may have been, you wouldn't rule out alcohol, it's irresponsible and it's despicable. So is saying that he may have dementia. Okay, let's listen to this. This is incredible, ladies and gentlemen. This is what's well, this is what's going on on Fox News. This is being presented as news and analysis of some kind. Here we go. There's more, and this is the the part I'll hear about. Right. I did not evaluate Joe Biden. Right. But if someone said to me, "Listen, we want you to do what's really required to know what happened there." You have to put dementia on the differential diagnosis. <laughs> you have to say bizarre laughter, interrupting. If this were your dad or your grandfather, wouldn't you say if you brought him to me, Keith, you got to tell me, is he, is he suffering with dementia because he can't seem to listen, he's laughing inappropriately. But, but hold on a second. Now, now here we're going to get the actual co counter to this, which is, wait, wait a second. Joe Biden remembered a million different facts and presented in a completely uh, articulate way incredible political arguments and made, made a guy, uh, you know, not half his age, but over 20 years younger than him, look like the liar that he was. But because he laughed, he has dementia? This is irresponsible, isn't it, guys? I think the natural reaction to when someone is telling a lie is to interrupt them and try to correct it. Yeah. If anything, it, this, is, this is proof that Joe Biden's mental faculties at 69 years old, are in fantastic shape. Let's continue. This is where that doesn't ring true to me. His command of the details was so solid. People right. with dementia can't remember the things that he... He was rattling off... The substance off. was he pretty was, solid. The substance I mean, he was rattling off. Granted, fact-checkers went back, and it wasn't always completely accurate, but he had a command of his conversation. At least uh, his... I, see, the way he sees the issues. I'm not diagnosing him. I haven't evaluated him. But psychological uh. testing is anybody's guess what it would show. 
not knowing every fact isn't required to right. diagnose dementia, and I'm not saying he has it. I'm saying you'd put it on the differential. Yeah, let's, you know, anytime you, you put know it what? Put on the differential. What the hell? Let's anytime I see, anyone, I, anytime I see anyone laughing on television, I've got to be thinking, are they laughing because something's funny, or are they laughing because they have dementia? It's got to be on the table, guys. We've got to put it on the table. This is so absurd. It's incredibly absurd. Let's, let's break down the differential on what's going on with this pundit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let, let's get to the drinking part, because I, that, that is an important part. Civity. That's part of it. And command of the facts. He said we were totally out of uh, Afghanistan on a certain date when we we're going to leave troops there. So he missed a major fact. <laughs> That's actually Listen, the policy. Uh, you'd want to put these things on the differential diagnosis. I'm speaking as a psychiatrist right. today. You can call me as a political strategist. Sure. Uh, so you'd, you'd want his alcohol level. Why? Because he was that bizarre. Listen, <laughs> in that clip we showed. when His alcohol level. Guys, let's take it even further. Any time a politician, this is opening my mind, if a politician on television makes a statement that you don't completely agree with, we immediately must think of both dementia and al their blood alcohol level. Obvious. I find it very hard to believe this, this guy is a, a psychiatrist. It's questionable whether he's board certified, but he is. And he's claiming not to be taking a political stance on anything. <laughs> Clearly all he's trying to do is destroy Biden's character. Right, going on Fox News, which is a propaganda network for the Republicans, and questioning whether the vice president is suffering from dementia or drinking. Nothing remotely political about that. <laughs> no, not at all. A man, and, and really the despicable part. Joe Biden's a man who lost his wife and daughter to a drunk driver. And Keith Ablo joking around, not even joking, with no basis saying maybe he was drinking is, is disgusting. Yeah. And, of course, he says in this interview, he says, well, I didn't, uh, I didn't analyze him. I didn't, you know, I didn't actually look into this very much at all. Yeah. But apparently these things are still an option from what he heard. Hey, you know Look, what? But if Let's say he's right, Natan. Let's say Keith Ablo is right. It's incredibly disturbing that Paul Ryan was beaten by a demented drunk guy 25 years older than him. That's right? exactly. I mean, he lost the debate to a guy who was demented and drunk. That's yeah. exactly right. And I would also add that you know Joe Biden didn't need to drink. He got all the fun he needed right out of Paul Ryan. Yeah, Paul, Paul Ryan did enough drinking for everybody. I mean, four or five glasses of water. Uh, you know, he's having pitchers. Uh, it's, he, he did plenty of drinking. Nuts. Thank you, Lewis. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Laura Keeter. Independent fact-checkers have pointed out the inaccuracies in Congressman Paul Ryan's claims at the vice presidential debate. But let's hear what the media had to say about the debate. Well, I thought that Joe Biden came across like a guy that uh, you meet at a cocktail party for some political event. Uh, an obnoxious drunk who's loud and boisterous and interrupts every conversation. Uh, he just is the kind of guy you want to get away from. He was condescending at times to Paul Ryan, and I think I could have done with a lot less eye-rolling uh, and chuckling uh, on the part of Joe Biden. While media outlets largely focus on the vice president's demeanor, they ignored the inaccuracies in Congressman Paul Ryan's claims on issues including Medicare, health care reform, the stimulus bill, and a slew of foreign policy issues. After all, who needs substance when you can have this? <laughs> who won last night's presidential debate between President Obama and Mitt Romney? Well, don't trust me, don't trust Fox News, uh, trust the American people. Uh, they've been polled by a lot of folks. Uh, most of these are scientific, some are unscientific, which I'll explain to you as we go along, but overall they paint a very, very clear picture. All right, public policy polling, legitimate scientific polling, 58-36, President Obama, so that's a giant win right there. Uh, now, you can say, hey, you know what, they lean a little left. Okay, fair enough. We uh, say that about Rasmussen leaning right from time to time. So the, let's go to CNBC. Now, uh, they asked over 60,000 people. I'm not clear whether this is a scientific poll or not, uh, but they got a clear vote too, 68 to 28, and CNBC ain't no friend of President Obama. Okay, so that's also clear. Now, uh, we go to CBS News. These are uncommitted voters, scientific poll. 37% Obama, 30% Romney, 33% Tied. Okay, so a seven-point win for President Obama. 
You go to Xbox YouGov. This is also on Scientific, but they also asked, I think, about 30,000 people or so. They isolated nearly 1,000 people who were uncommitted voters. And again, this one, take with a huge grain of salt, much more likely to be young males. Obama wins in a landslide there, 51 to 17. They claim those are uncommitted voters, but still, they're young and they're male. Uh, now, when you go to uh, CNN, the one that everybody's looking at, again, Obama, winner, 46-39. So the lowest margin of victory is seven. The largest margin of victory is gigantic. And there's not a single poll that has Romney winning. Every single poll has President Obama winning the debate. No question about it. So who are the only people questioning it? CNN, the people who did the poll. I love this. Because it goes to show you, in a nutshell, the insane neutrality of the mainstream press. Watch Wolf Blitzer and Anderson Cooper try to explain away the Obama win here. Slight edge, though, 46% uh, for President Obama, 39% for Governor Romney. Uh, the numbers are coming in. Pretty much, uh, if you take a look overall, Anderson, of all these numbers, pretty much a slight, slight edge to the president. But I'd say uh, the, the, the poll shows pretty much of a draw. Well, also interesting to see when you look at will it actually change your vote? Who makes you more likely to vote for? 25%, 25%. Pretty much a draw. A draw, right? I mean, draw. I mean, don't look at the screen. Don't look at the screen. That's our poll. It says 46-39. Obama won. But no, no, no. If Romney wins, a Republican wins, then CNN is screaming from the rooftops, Republican wins! Republican wins! Why? Because then they won't be called biased. They're like, look at how unbiased we are. We told you a Republican won. If a Democrat wins, pretty much a draw. I mean, if you look at inside the numbers, then, you know, it's not as clear. And we're so sorry, Republicans, for doing a poll that showed that a Democrat had won. Believe me, we're neutral. We're neutral. That's insanity, man. And I know I've used this example a million times, but can you imagine if sports reporters reacted the same way? They're like, well, it looks like Detroit's up in the series against the Yankees. Uh, but, but, but you know what? Another way of looking at it is if you want to be neutral towards the Yankees, I mean, it's pretty much a draw. No, it's not a draw. The Yankees are losing. You see, they played the games. There was a result. You're reporting the result. They're unbelievable, man. That, that's why you can't trust the mainstream media. Because they're so cowed they're by the politicians, by the people who are in charge, and specifically by the Republicans of the right wing. They'll do anything to say that they're not in favor of the Democrats. Even hiding their own poll. God, the way Blitzer was stumbling there was awesome. You do it again. Watch this. Slight edge. Though 46% uh, for President Obama, 39% for Governor Romney. Uh, the numbers are coming in. Pretty much, uh, if you take a look overall, Anderson, of all these numbers, pretty much a slight, slight edge to the president. But I'd say uh, the, the, the poll shows pretty much of a draw. Well, also no, interesting that's, to that's see awesome. when you look at... That's awesome. That's, that's a slight, 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 slight edge, but pretty much a draw. By the way, seven points is not a slight edge. I mean, it's not 70 points, but you don't need 70 points. Look, if it was one or two points, you can say hey, that's within the margin of error. It's not even within the margin of error. It's a clear win. <laughs> All right, now look, don't get me wrong. It's not like I think that it was like crushing, and it's not like I believe the Xbox numbers. It's not like I thought it changed the election. And Anderson Cooper's point, I mean, Wolf Blitzer was more complicated comical. Anderson Cooper jumping in with some numbers that might help Romney was funny. But Anderson Cooper's, Cooper's point at least wasn't wrong. The, you know, there's a million numbers and the Associated Press one covering it too. Like, well, look, there was a lot of numbers that, uh, in Romney's favor. I mean, he was better on the economy and he was better here. Well, obviously, a lot of people thought President Obama was better in other numbers and you didn't show those numbers. Why? Because oh, I'm going to be unbiased. I'm going to be unbiased, right? So anyway, but the I don't want you to get too excited about President Obama winning the debate because that number that Cooper was quoting is relevant, and let me show it to you. At the end of this, even though they thought President Obama had won those voters, they said, who are you most likely to vote for? And it was 25-25, and either one at 48%. So there's a reason why uncommitted voters are still uncommitted uh, 20 days before an election, because they're like, ah, dude, I don't know. <laughs> like, ah, that guy said one thing, then the fucked up thing is that the other guy said something else. Yeah.
So, so it's not like it's end of this. Although, of course, as I told you, this election was over weeks ago. By the way, you know, so many people bashing me. Oh, what happened? I thought the election was over. National Review just wrote a piece. Oh, the poorly prescient or whatever the hell is they said. Jank Uger. Like, <laughs> hey, listen, did I stutter, bitch? The election is over. It was over before, it's over now. I have never changed on that. Because I didn't say that President Obama was going to win in a landslide. I said President Obama was going to win even if a whole bunch of things go wrong. And then a whole bunch of things went wrong, and I never wavered. I still think he's going to win. I still think it's clear. He's got a significant lead in Ohio, in Nevada, in Iowa. Do the math. Okay, this will help him a little bit. And... Part of that analysis of mine was based on that President Obama was running a very effective campaign. They weren't going to all of a sudden fall off a cliff. Things could go wrong, but that they would recover. And guess what happened in this debate? They recovered. For those who want the news media to take a harder line on separating truth and lies in the presidential election, take note. The cover story for the new issue of Time magazine promises to do just that. Too bad it doesn't deliver. The article inside tells readers several times that the reason politicians don't tell the truth is, well, because of us. We don't demand the truth from politicians, so they don't deliver it. Of course, there are people who can put pressure on politicians to back up their claims. These people are called journalists. And it's their failure to perform this task that has a more direct effect on political lying. Time is wary of the partisanship of the current media environment, but nonetheless offers a bizarre recommendation. If you want to get some fact-checking of Obama, you should check out the Drudge Report and Fox News Channel. Yep, an hour with Sean Hannity will help you sort out the truth. But the most striking part comes when Time tries to tell its readers which major party candidate is doing more lying. Quote, Compared with the Obama campaigns, the Romney operation's misstatements are frequently more brazen, close quote. Well, that is refreshing, in a way. There's no attempt to construct some false balance, both sides do it narrative. Oh, wait, keep reading, quote, But sometimes the most effective lie is the one that is closest to the truth, and Obama's team has often outdone Romney's in the dark art of subtle distortion, close quote. In other words, Romney lies more, but Obama's lies are more accurate. Glad that's settled. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I want to talk about something that I uh, wish I didn't have to uh, because these... These things that kind of turn into internet memes uh, sort of drive me crazy because they're usually completely inane, and and that's the case with this one. And I'm referring to uh, the most recent debate uh, with Romney and Obama and the line from Romney about uh, binders of women and how that took off as the conversation du jour that – seemingly exploded on the internet that everyone is enraged about and you know i i saw it live when it happened um and as near as i can tell what is uh offensive about that phrase is is that he didn't say 
binders of applications from women, binders of uh, resumes from women, that sort of thing. Instead, he just said binders of women. And the entire context of it was uh, about how he staffed his office as a governor in Massachusetts. And so I, I'm not – I'm completely leaving judgment of of the honesty of his statement or the reality of how he staffed his office completely out of this conversation because I have no knowledge on what was true or not true about any of his statements. I'm just judging the statement itself because that's what's relevant for the conversation that uh, that, that was launched about the quote-unquote binder of women. And so – you know what he said true or not was that when he came into office that the uh, the people applying to be in his uh, administration were almost entirely men and that he asked you know this seems lopsided could we try to find women and then uh you know, so they went specifically to women's groups and asked you know we are interested in hiring women can you suggest people who would be qualified and it was the women's groups who provided lists of the qualified women to Romney's administration to have them be considered for those positions and so when they provided a list of of women presumably that group of papers, uh, resumes, and applications, and so forth, were provided in a binder. That's that's my assumption. And the fact that this became something offensive, um, it, I cannot wrap my mind around. Uh, this this essentially sounds to me like the progressive equivalent of the way the Republicans took. Uh, you didn't build that ridiculously out of context from Obama. Uh, it, just the, the recap on that, he said, you know, if you're a business owner, you didn't build the roads and bridges that you use to service your business, and that was taken out of context to make it sound like Obama said that if you own a business, you didn't build that business. So uh, it, it's it's so far out of context as to be maddening, and I and. I, as much as I've talked about it and debated it with people in real life, I, I cannot figure out what is offensive about that statement other than, as I said at the beginning, the slight misusage of words when he said a binder of women instead of a binder of applications uh, from women. So that's that's my take on that, but it, it leads to what I think is actually offensive and what is it's a, a, an absolute shame is because it's from the exact same statement. It's being a shame. It's a shame that this is being overlooked for something as inane as the binder comment, because the binder is more uh, memeable, as far as I can tell. But what was actually offensive about his statement was later when he talked about the women who worked in his cabinet and how he learned by employing these women that they needed flexible schedules so that they could get home and cook for their kids and be around for the kids, obviously implying that men don't need those sorts of flexible schedules because men don't need to be around the kids as much. So that, to me, was the huge gaffe of that statement. Uh, and and then caught, uh, I think, brilliantly by, uh, actually, my girlfriend, later brought up yet another element of this whole thing. Much later in the debate, uh, Romney was answering a question about reducing gun violence. And he... You know, of course, didn't talk anything about uh, legislation or any kind of uh, rules about guns themselves. Instead, he started talking about the the importance of two-parent families and the need for children to have both a man and a woman in the house raising them so that they would, you know, grow up to be, you know, I guess well-suited members of society who aren't going to be apt to go out and shoot people. And and so, you know, obviously he uh, makes the claims that two-parent families are important. I mean, he, he went, you know, on yet another gaffe, in my opinion, uh, along the same lines was, you know, he said that, uh, you know, two-parent families are so important that everyone should really get married before considering having kids, which is, of course, offensive to anyone who 
thinks that uh, you know non-traditional families of you know loving loving adults of any gender and orientation who want to have kids together you know then they should and marriage doesn't really have anything to do with people necessarily committing themselves to each other in other ways so you, you know all of these things are being completely overlooked um, the the contradictions inherent in you know suggestions of you know, the need for two parent families while completely disregarding men's roles in children's lives when it comes to the need for flexible uh, you know work schedules and it's it's ridiculous none of this stuff is being talked about and the only thing being talked about uh, that that I have seen is the binder comment that doesn't even make sense I mean it, it's you know people are people are up in arms like you know, Romney thinks women belong in a binder or don't let Romney, you know, relegate you to a binder. And it's like that, nothing about that I I can figure out is even offensive because it doesn't make sense. Like it would, it would have to make sense in order to be offensive, but there's no such thing as being relegated to a binder. That's, that's not like a metaphor for anything else. Like being uh, you know, having women's resumes delivered in a binder isn't a symbolic metaphor for how men, of course, are brought on gold platters and uh, and women are brought in binders because Romney's anti-women. It's just the whole thing's nonsensical, drives me crazy, uh, and, and I think I think it is not quite as bad as the uh, as the you didn't build it. Uh, thing that got completely out of control and took over an entire day at, at least of uh, of the GOP convention, but it's along those same lines, and uh, and I'm sort of repulsed by the whole thing. So that's that's my thoughts on that. If, uh, if you have any, have any comments, if if I'm if I'm missing something, I would love to hear it because I, I right now I'm baffled, and I would love to not be baffled. So if you can straighten me out and, and clarify something for me, uh, please do. Uh, the number again to call in and leave a message: two zero six two zero two three four one zero. That's going to do it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Especially thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one time donations to the show. If you would like to stay in touch with the show between episodes, join up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet